Good morning. Okay, so some of you guys, when you heard that five to 600 number, you go, what? <laughs> Listen, name big, go big, go home, right? I mean, we can do this, right? We, we, we thought we'd, we'd shoot for it, see how we do. Um, if you go online, you can see some more details about that too. And it, it's not out of our reach individually or as a group. Um, so we wanted to really take a shot at that and see what we could do and what God might uh, do to bless the lives of others. Amen? All right. Good to see you guys this morning. Some of you guys look more awake. Um, that's what BJ was talking about. Some of you guys don't. <laughs> uh, I, I got up really early this morning because my body just won't let me sleep in. And I was like, come on, I finally can. Hey, um, you know, the other morning I was, I was meeting a friend of mine. And as I was doing that, uh, it was really early. It was in the morning. It was before breakfast. And one of the things, I see some of you guys have your cups of coffee there. Well, he, he came right by me, right? And he's on his way in the door and he says, he says hold on a second. He says, I got to get my coffee. Can't live without my coffee, right? Anybody uh, relate to that? Got any coffee addicts out there in the house? Anybody? All right. Well, um, you know, I was thinking about that phrase, can't live without it. We, we throw a lot of stuff in that phrase, don't we? Can't live without it. Can't live without my cell phone. Can't live without air conditioning in the summer, right? Can't live without maybe certain brands of food, certain kinds of food. Can't live without it. Maybe some of you ladies, you have a fashion accessory. Can't live without my, right? Can't live without it. And, and so we throw it right in that category of like air, <laughs> water, food. Can't live without it. You know, um, in Bible times, the Greeks had a word for life that they used for life. Bios is where we get our word biology from. And bios literally meant life, but it came to mean not just our existence, but it came to mean all the peripherals that make up our life as well. Our wealth, our, our um, possessions, our stuff. And, and so bios was this word that was kind of took in that whole category of stuff that we, we can't live without. And, and they quite literally called it their life. And, and sometimes we think of life in that way too. In fact, how many of you guys have ever found yourself in the place where you feel like you're almost, the worth of your life is being evaluated by what you have or don't have, or by what you, what you have access to or don't have access to? That's bios. And we call it our lives because literally it's how people often see us, how we're defined in their eyes by the things that kind of surround us. However, God regularly challenges us in the way that we think about life, and especially in those terms. He challenges us to think, is that really the life that I've called you to? Because he wants us to understand what life is truly about, what life truly is, so that we might grab hold of that um, that's one of the things that being one of the places that he talks about that is going to be in our passage that we're reading this morning in 1 Timothy. So in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, if you stand with me as we listen to hear what God might have to say to us about, about life, about life and our stuff. Um, I want to give you some background on this before we read it. This was written, it was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul and Timothy's like his... his um, apprentice almost for years, and he's left him in Ephesus, and he's in this church where he's trying to give leadership in the way that he lives his life. And so Paul's encouraging him, these are the things that I want you to teach people to hold on to. And it was a church that was fairly strong and affluent and pop, you know, kind of populous. It was, it was a population center. 
And so they had a lot of influence and, and affluence as a result. And because of that, these are some of the reasons that he speaks these words. And I want us to think about that because honestly, we are in a place like that, right? Our community, our community is that which, which we have. We have resources, but we also have those, that network that, that we have that influence. And so listen to these words personally. God is speaking to us as well. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Teach those who are well off in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they might take hold of that which is life indeed. You know, we don't have a hard time sometimes giving God our sins, our troubles, our trials, challenges, brokenness, right? We give him that. We, we usually can do pretty good giving God our time, our treasures, our abilities, our, you know, our strengths. But we get challenged at times when we talk about giving God our bios, right? Our life, those things that we can't live without. But God's not interested in just having part. God has asked us to give him all so that he can show what he can do as he lives through all of our life. Amen? This morning, the, this message is titled, Giving Our All. Let's pray. Father, um, we come to you this morning, and we walk into this room in a sense with just who we are, but we are clothed with what we're clothed with as a part of our life. We, are, we drove up in our cars, which are really have become a part of our life. We, we bring with us our, our attachments and peripherals that seem to drag along with us wherever we go. And Father, in this world, we know that these are the things that people evaluate us and, and they are determining whether we have a good life or not based on some of these things. But Father, you've called us to a life that is not so obvious at times, that tends to be a bit more hidden, that honestly takes a little bit more work because you called us to that, that further life of eternal life, a life that just doesn't look at this, this present age, this, this day, this moment and situation, but looks beyond and says, ask the question, what, what does it mean to grab hold of life that is life indeed? What does it mean to grab hold of the very life of God? You've offered us that life in Jesus. So we ask that by your spirit this morning, you would speak through your word, through your word and speak to us and show us what does it mean to take hold of that which is life indeed? Father, we take the time to just quiet our hearts to open our ears, to open our eyes, open our minds, drop our defenses to hear from you. We pray these things for your glory, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. In 2010, there was a book that came out. It didn't come out with a lot of fanfare. It didn't come out with a lot of hype, um, but it did end up causing a large stir. It caused a large stir, not just in a local region, but really throughout the United States. 
It was self-published. It was self-published by this quiet, relatively unknown uh, Air Force veteran. He had uh, fought in the Vietnam War. Uh, he, at the present time, he was 80 years old. He ran a shop with his wife down in New Mexico where they sold these like high-end Indian artifacts and curios like that. And um, the outside of the book didn't look like much either. It was just a story. It was by somebody nobody had heard of. But inside was a story about this man who, for some reason, had decided he was going to take this chest full of treasure, about $2 million worth, and hide it somewhere and give people these instructions, these clues of how to find it. And it set off a treasure hunt that I don't think we've seen in a long time. There were hundreds, hundreds of people began to just pour through both public and private lands you know, and try and find this treasure, convinced they knew where it was based on these clues. When we were out in Denver, we had people in our church that would regularly take weekends and go up into the mountains because in his own words, he had said they were buried in the mountains somewhere north of Santa Fe. So from New Mexico to Canada, you had people just pouring through the mountains. You had people traveling from all over the United States to go out and look for this treasure. Then in June 6th, on June 6th of 2020, and nobody heard about this one either because we had a pandemic going on, and so it didn't get a whole lot of press, it didn't get a whole lot of hype either, but somebody found the treasure, and they found this treasure, and um, again, it was one of these things that kind of went unnoticed, and, and while you know, they, they didn't want to be recognized, they wanted to stay anonymous for obvious reasons, they didn't want everybody knocking down their door, but, but the barrier of the treasure, Fen, uh, his name was Forrest Fenn, and he, he acknowledged, he, um, he confirmed that the treasure had been found. Well, when that happened, you'd think it was over, but that's when the real crazy started, right? That's when this crazy, because people started, they started bringing lawsuits. I mean, millions and millions of dollars they were claiming of loss against Forrest Fenn, against the guy that found the treasure, against anyone that they saw as standing in the way or getting in the way and robbing them of the treasure that they believed was truly theirs. And you go, why would they think that? Right? Why would they think that? Well, because literally they had poured their lives into this. There are people that had spent tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours to find this treasure. There were people that had uprooted themselves and moved to where they thought this treasure would be so they could search more. There were people that had given up things. There were people, there were five people that literally lost their lives looking for this treasure, convinced they knew where it was. So when someone told them that someone else had found it, they literally felt like their life had been ripped away. It was their bios. Right? It was their life. This was what they'd given their life to. Now, many of you guys, you've never been on a treasure hunt, right? And you wouldn't see your job necessarily as a treasure hunt. Nothing as exciting as that, right? But tell me if this isn't true. When you get your paycheck, you see that paycheck and you go, I poured, I poured my life into this. This is mine. This is my life. And therefore, what you buy with that paycheck, you tend to look at it as your bios, your life. It's what makes up your life. The Greeks weren't that far off when they said, we have a word that means life, but what it really means is all those things that we see as our life and are seen as our life because they're connected to us, our, our possessions, our wealth, our homes, 
our stuff. It's our bias. Because life was invested in the acquiring of these things. And therefore, they're seen as a kind of life. They're a part of our life. But God says, you know, this kind of thinking, okay, this kind of thinking, but this kind of thinking can go too far. In fact, it's, it will go too far if you think that this life, if somehow you have in your head that this life is the only life that God wants us to be pursuing, that this life is the only life that is out there to be pursued. Did you hear the last line of that passage we read in 1 Timothy? It says that God would wants us to be able to take hold of that which is life indeed, which means that there's something beyond just the bios, just the, the physical life and the things that attach themselves to it that we attach ourselves to. There's something else. There's just life indeed. And that God, it says in this life, God provides us abundantly. He richly provides us with things to enjoy. I mean, we go outside and you get a day like today and how can you not enjoy your life on this day? Because God surrounds us with these things. So he says, he, he provides us abundantly with these things and God is concerned though that we not get caught up in this amassing of these things as if they're the only thing. And he calls them the, the, the riches of this age. Literally, he says, of this now age. And what it brings in is it brings in, you know what, this isn't the only age that you have to worry about. This isn't the only day, the only world, the only life that you have to be concerned about. So don't get so caught up in obtaining amassing the bios, the riches of this age, but instead take hold of that which is truly life. And here the word that he uses for life isn't bios. He uses the word zoe, which is another Greek word for life. But he doesn't want us to be confused. He wants us to know there's this other thing out there, this other life that's out there to, get, to take a hold of. And it reminds us, it reminds us also in the same passage prior to this, in verse 12, he had used the same phrase, taking hold of life, but he had added a word. He says, in fact, take hold of eternal life, the life that you were called to. God wants you to know without a doubt that this physical life with its treasures, with its buried treasures and possessions and cell phones and coffee, all of that, this life is not the only life. It's not even the most important life that you could be pursuing because there's this life and eternal, <laughs> the word eternal is, is, is funny because it, it literally means a life of the other ages. These ages that are to come, the ages upon ages that follow this one. This life is going to actually look like just a blip compared to the eternal life that God has called us into. So he says, make sure to pursue the life that is truly life. So how do we do that? I mean, what are we supposed to do? Do we like sell all that we got and go you know, live up on a mountain or live in a cave somewhere? Do we, do we maybe um, abandon like our, our homes, our jobs, our families and go, we, we go in a monastery somewhere or go on a mission somewhere or go invest our lives in the ministry? Is that, is that what he's saying to do? And not really because that's not where this passage goes at all. He talks to people that are in these real life situations of here we are in this bios, this life. What do we do with it? How do we pursue God's life in the midst of this? 
what some might call the rejection of the world, and you see people moving into asceticism, and they, they give up everything, and they live very austere, very harsh kind of conditions in order to get away from the world. And God says, that's not a guarantee that you're gonna grab hold of the life that is truly life just by giving things up, making yourself suffer. On, no, on the other hand, it's a lot more simple than that. But, <laughs> but like anything that God asks us to do, it may be simple to understand, it can be hard to do. Have you guys found that yet? Right, The things that God calls you to do, you understand them pretty quickly. But then putting them into practice, that's what really gets tough. That's what's the challenge. But he says, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, in this section of 1 Timothy, Timothy talks really to three groups of people and lays out three pieces of this. What does it mean to, to pursue eternal life in this life? How do we do that? And he talks about these three groups of people. The first group of people are mentioned just prior to the passage we read in verses seven and eight. It says, we brought nothing into this world and so we can take nothing out of it. So if we have food and shelter with these, we will be content. Content. The first group are those who, they really don't have much in terms of bios. They don't have a lot of peripherals. They don't have a lot of stuff that they have to take care of. But he says, you know what? God tells them, if this is you, then be content. Be content if you have, if you have food, if you have shelter, then be content. But you notice he says, if you have food and shelter. You know, one of the things that Jesus said when he was teaching, he said, he said you know, it's legitimate to pray to God. In fact, when he's teaching his disciples how to pray, one of the, the, the requests is, give us today the bread that we need for today. So he doesn't say just, you know, just tough it out and whatever. He says, yeah, pray to God. Ask him to, to, to supply those, those needs that you have. In, in 2010, same day that this book came out about this treasure being buried, right? This other, this study came out. It was a Princeton economist. He was a Nobel Prize uh, laureate. And, and it was, what they had found was that there is a, there's a certain kind of income level at which people, uh, any more than that, it's not really increasing kind of their, their satisfaction with life. It's not really increasing kind of the experience they have of life or, or, the, or kind of their happiness. There's this level that we reach. Because up to that point, what they're trying to reach is they're just trying to make, meet these basic kind of needs of just, so they're not worried about life itself. They're not worried about survival. And they found that once that you kind of hit that point, that you're just adding stuff on, but you're not, you're not adding to the experience of life. Contentment is theirs to be had. And so it kind of, it's like if you have food and shelter, with these we can be content. And so God says the first, the first part of, of, of grabbing hold of eternal life is just be content. Be content with what God has given to you. You know, in another passage written by the Apostle Paul, um, he was writing to the Philippians. And in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, he said, you know what, I have learned how to be content in all circumstances that I find myself. I know how to, be, to get along with a little. I also know how to live in prosperity. I know I have learned the, the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having an abundance and of suffering need. And he ends with these words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
You know, we use that phrase a lot, but we don't always take it in context where he's saying, I can be content always through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul takes that and he says, you know, I've even pushed it beyond where I'm just content because all my needs are met. He says, I've even learned how to be content even those places where there is a bit of stress, there is a bit of suffering, there is a bit of lack and want because I can do all things through Christ who is there to give me strength. The first key to taking hold of eternal life is to be content. And the situations in which we find ourselves even though we might not have an excess of bios, right? We may not have all the surroundings and all the entrapments and all the, the kind of the, the peripherals that everyone, that surround other people's lives. Knowing that and we can be satisfied and content because we know that what scripture says is true about this life. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in James 4.14, he said, we know that this life is just like a morning mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We know that there's a life beyond this life. That's really what we're, we're striving for. So the first, first lesson is be content. Second, he talks about this group of people. A second group is mentioned in the next two verses, verses nine and 10. And it says, um, these are those who they don't, they don't necessarily have a lot either. They may, they may not. He doesn't really get into it. But they are those who have set their minds, their hearts on pursuing the riches of this world. And of them, Paul writes this. He says, those who set, them, set their will, set their hearts, set their minds to getting rich, to becoming, having an abundance, they will fall into temptation, a snare, They'll fall into many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains and griefs. So he says, start with the foundation of contentment, but then the flip side of that is don't give your life to the pursuit the bios, the stuff of this world. Don't make that what your life is all about. There's so much in the Bible that, that talks about that. Jesus, at one point, he said, you know, you gotta realize you can't serve God and this wealth thing. You can't serve them both. You can serve one master. We know that in life, you can you can't hold two full-time jobs that are demanding of you full-time, right? You can't, you can't do that because you're either gonna give everything you have to the one and hate what the other demands of you or you're gonna give to the second one and hate the first. You can't serve God and money, wealth, riches, the stuff of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't take a job that pays well. That's not pursuing it. That's just taking what God provides, finding out where he's going with it, right? It doesn't mean that you can't, you can't even look for that job and choose one over the other because in your current situation, this one makes a lot more sense. Yes, absolutely. But it says just don't make your life all about the pursuit of money, of amassing, of riches, of wealth. It says if you do that, what you'll probably do, end up doing is you'll end up compromising something that God has called you to in order to attain 
that wealth, in order to get that job that pays more. You're going to start cutting things out. You're going to find that you're going to be, temp- you're going to be tempted. You're going to be drawn off from what God has called you to. And that, he says, is going to lead you into snares and into destruction and into ruin. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. And in this life, he says specifically, you're going to find that it just fills your life with grief and pain. I mean, how many guys have suffered the pain of trying to, of laying too much value on your valuables, right? I mean, even as we watch the, the markets go up and down, and some of us are watching, you know, you're watching accounts go up and down, and you're just riding that roller coaster. And if you're too tied to that, your life is filled with the pain of watching it go up and down and feeling like you've lost everything and you've gained everything. And you've, it's crazy. He says, if you pursue this, if you make this what your life is, then it will be filled with pain. So then in verse 11, he tells Timothy specifically, he says, so flee these things. Run away from those things I just mentioned, the temptations and the, the, um, the ruin and destruction and the grief. Run away from those things. Instead, grab hold of that life that God has called you to. So first, be content. Second, be content by don't give your life to a pursuit of just the riches and the wealth of this world. And then he turns to a third, and he speaks to a very specific group of people. This is a group of people that actually have a lot. And we know that in the early church, there were those who attached themselves to the church and attached themselves to Jesus, who put themselves under his lordship, who actually had a lot of wealth. We talked a couple of weeks ago. There was this group called the, the, the Patrician class of people. They were from the original founders of Rome. And because of that, they had land and they had money. And we know that some of these patrons were actually believers. He turns to them and he says, he talks to them as those who are well off in this present age. And you guys, some of us in this room, some of us in this audience, we are well off in this age. We have a lot. We have a mass. There's this bios that surrounds us. So what should we do? Well, it says, don't just be rich in bios, but instead be rich in good works. What are good works? What are those? What are we talking about, good works? Well, some of the people that Paul was talking to, they were very, very wealthy, and they had the opportunity not just to impact a life here or there. They had the opportunity, honestly, to affect whole communities. Some of these patrons were known for, when there was a famine in the region, they would pay out of their personal wealth to feed a whole community of people because they had the ability to do that. And he says, some, some of these people, he says, you have the ability not just to, not just to help one or two, you have the ability to shape a whole community of people and show them what the love of Christ looks like. And, and we know that early Christians, that there were those who were responsible for building like marketplaces for their community. And you think, what does that have to do with the church? It has to do with doing good works in the name of Jesus. In fact, Peter uses the same language as Paul does, and he writes about, he says, for, for this is the will of God, that by doing good works, again, he's talking about these Sometimes these large-scale type of impacting projects, by doing good works, you might silence the ignorance 
of the foolish. And what, is, what does he mean there? He means that there, when you are able to, and you go out and you do good works that impact the lives of others, especially these who have the ability to do good works on such a large scale, when you are able to do that and you do this, then all of a sudden those who accuse the church, accuse the church of being irrelevant, accuse the church in our day of taking up space without paying taxes and having no contribution to the community, accuse the church of by our very teachings to be opposed to, uh, to health and to, to soundness of community. Those who accuse the church of such things, when they're faced with those who go out and work and invest in the community in that way, that so impacts and benefits people, they're silenced because they see the impact that the, the love and the grace of God can have on their lives because of what God has done in, the, in our nature, right? Because that's, that's a hard one. That's a hard one to give up, isn't it? To, to dig into your own and say, you know what? I will give of what is my bios, what I have given my life to, and I will give it to another without, without question, without cost, without strings attached, just merely for their blessing. And they're silenced. So being rich, he says, in overflowing this abundant in doing good works, this, later he says, being generous, being known for your sharing, is being characterized when people see you is one of the first things they say, oh yeah, that is a, that is a not just a grace-filled person, not just a nice person, that is someone that they make what is theirs available to anyone, to everyone, for their benefit. And he says, by all of this, then giving away, you'll actually be gathering in a treasure of a foundation for life eternal. So he says, be content. Don't pursue the riches of this world just because they're the riches of this world, but instead be known for being rich in good works by which you actually are giving away, but you're investing in the life that is to come. So what does that practically look like? Because this is where it gets tough, right? Well, the first one's not so bad, but the first one is, how can we be content? Because that's, that's the first thing we need to do, learn how to be content. Well, I want to encourage you guys to try something, to do something, to make it a part of your life. When you wake up in the morning, we have, we have a kind of a choice in front of us. We can either start worrying immediately about everything that's going to go on and we can start fretting about how are we going to accomplish the things that are done or we can begin with thankfulness because in thankfulness, you learn how to be content where you just say, God, I'm going to start this day by just talking to you and thanking you for all the good that you've given me. Before I even start this day, I know I have the day. I woke up, didn't I? Right? I woke up and I know the life that's in front of me. I know the, the love that surrounds me. I know the people that you've given me. I know even the good that is out in front of me. I don't know what's going to happen this day, but I know you're with me. Thank you, God. So what if we just started our day with thankfulness and we made our life and our words, they began with thanks. They began with contentment so that we might become content, that we might learn contentment and put to death in our mind that kind of rat race 
that never-ending, fruitless, dangerous rat race of the pursuit of bios, just amassing, trying to get enough that we feel secure enough, instead, just thanking God. So begin with thankfulness, that's one. Can we do that? Okay, that was the easy one, so buckle up. (laughs) Second one is practice giving. Practice giving. Practice giving to God, practice giving to others. Whatever you have. You know, God doesn't say, if you have a little, try and affect a community. He says, if, if you have a little, just start with a little. Affect the life next to you. But he says, if you have a lot, give it a shot, right? Give it a shot. See, see what you can do with what God has given to you. Now, in the Bible, there, there's a practice that God wanted to train his people in giving, and it was to start by giving to him. And it was this practice called tithing. And tithing goes back, it goes back way before the law, it goes back before Moses, it goes back, it goes back into Genesis, it goes back before even Abraham, because Abraham knew about it. By the time he got to a point in his life, he knew that you take a tithe. And what is a tithe? The tithe is a tenth of whatever God gives you, of whatever he blesses you with, of in your earnings. In their day, it was in crops or in animals that kind of you know, produce themselves. So you take a tenth. You take of those things and you give a tenth of it to God right off the top. So that means a dime out of every dollar. That means $10 out of every hundred, a hundred out of every thousand. And as those numbers go up, you go, wow, that's tough. And it is tough. And that's why it becomes this, this really becomes a, an offering, a gift of, it becomes a, a stretching and a growth of our faith. Because when you give that kind of money to God and you take that and you see that come out of your bios, right? Out of your life, immediately you go, do I really believe that God gave me everything that I have? Do I really believe that God not only gave me what I need, but he gave me enough so that I would have, and this is what tithing's about, that I would have enough to actually give back to him as a gift? Do I believe that? Do I believe that God gave me everything I need plus 10% to give to him? Do I believe that? And do I really believe that when I take this big chunk out of my life, bios, and give it to God, that he's gonna gonna fill in the gap? In fact, if you believe what it says in Genesis through Malachi, and especially Malachi, if you wanna read about some of this stuff, but that God said, test me on this, that if if you're not faithful with giving me the gift that I have given you, provided to you to be able to learn how to give. Test me in this, that if you give your tithes, if I don't just open heaven's windows and just pour on your life more than you can imagine. So he says, try it. You know, the Jewish people believe that this tenth, this tithe that was actually, it belonged to God. If you read Malachi, they believe that if you, if you withheld this, it wasn't just kind of holding back what was yours, it was really stealing from God what was his. That was the mindset that they had about it. And part of this was God just training his people, learn how to give, because out of this tithe, that was the money that was then used to take care of the poor, that was the money that was then used to take care of the foreigners that were in their midst, those who were refugees or immigrants or that were fleeing situations. That was, that was what was take, taking care of those who 
God had called to serve them spiritually. That was also what was used by God to do his work. And so it was investing in God's work. So he says, learn how to give. Start there by giving to God. But then I want to challenge you, and I want to go a little further. Okay, if you will humor me. But then secondly, some of you are able to easily give a tithe. I mean, you might not think it right now, but you, you are. You're in a place you could do that. In fact, God has blessed you in a way that you could probably give above that even. And God says, you know, as you're able, set apart some money so that you always have that that's available to invest in lives or invest in things, invest in these good works that you might come across, that you might have opportunity to intentionally set aside some so that you might be used by God to do these good works. Not just in your church, not just in those who are around you, in your, but to do works that impact whole communities sometimes. And large works are small works, according to what God has blessed you with, but you guys think about it this way. Some of you have the opportunity to impact some of the lives that are around you, but some of you have the ability to actually impact a community of people. God says you should be, we should all be looking for that because this is how we grab hold of eternal life. This is how we grab hold of almost like the kingdom of God and pull it into this world and offer it to people. This is where people sometimes see practically the love of God staring at them in a way that they cannot deny it. And that they are actually brought into the kingdom because of the way that we've taken of our bios. And we've said, you know, this isn't the only life pursuing, that I'm pursuing. No, I'm pursuing the eternal life of God, the very life that sent, by which God sent his own son so that I might have life. That I might be faced with a gift that I couldn't deny. That I might be dragged into the kingdom of God by the love of God because of the good goodness of God. So learn how to be content, right? Rearrange your mind so that you're not pursuing just the things of this world. But then third, how do we give? How do we generously pour our lives into others? How do we become those people that people know that what is ours is available to them for the good things of God, the benefit in their life that God always, that God intended for them. How do we give to God and do good for others? Amen? Okay, that's challenging, huh? Anybody else in here? You guys, I, I, I tell you, when I, when I preach, I prepare these messages, right? And God usually is, is, he's hitting me with it before he hits you with it. But that's a, that's a tough one. But I encourage us to do it because he says that's where eternal life, that's where eternal life is to be found. Amen?